Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Today, I want to talk about a leadership skill that many of the greatest leaders I've ever known have, and it is the ability to have quality, crucial conversations. And uh, crucial conversations can come in all different areas of life. You know that there have been those hinge moments in life, big conversations that kind of change the direction. Um, I think there's a lot of us kind of shying away from crucial conversations. I know I need to talk to my spouse about this, but I'm scared to, or I need to have this conversation with my kids or with my boss or with a coworker or whoever it is. You know that there's a conversation that you need to have, but you're kind of shying away from it. Other people go the opposite direction. It's like the second something pops in your head, you can't wait to have the conversation. You can't wait for confrontation. You can't wait to criticize or to, to have that. So there's kind of two ends of the spectrum that are unhealthy, and we're kind of looking for a middle ground in which we can have quality, crucial conversations that build relationship and get us to the end goal. And we do that by giving grace and speaking truth. Sorry, go back. Not there yet. I jumped ahead. Giving grace and speaking truth. The passage you just heard Amanda read is a passage from the book of Acts where Philip overhears a man reading a passage from the prophet Isaiah. So this guy's reading Isaiah, he's reading out loud, everybody can hear what he's saying, and Philip recognizes that this passage should be leading this guy to Christ. He's not quite making the connection, so I'm going to step forward and have the crucial conversation of introducing this guy to the person that he's reading about in this passage in Isaiah. Crucial conversation. What more crucial conversation can there be than a spiritual, eternal life conversation? There's a famous leadership book that many of you may have read called Crucial Conversations. Our staff uh, talks about this very regularly. We went through it all together as a staff. If you're a leader or if you want to be a leader, I highly recommend it. It's not a Christian book, but it'll help you in life and in your relationships and in leadership. Because when stakes are high, crucial conversations are everything. They really determine success and failure in so many areas of life. It's one of a leader's most important tools. And what stakes could possibly be higher than those of us who call ourselves Christians and stepping into our Christian mission? Such an important tool. The book says this, to know and not to do is really not to know. In other words, if you have some information, then what good does it help you to have the information but to do nothing with it? We can't just know the truth, Christians. We have to take action to share the truth. So many of us in our lives are tempted to, to run to our comfort zones, run away from important conversations, run away from confrontation. And we get scared and we avoid conversations that we so desperately need to have. Patterson also says the mistake most of us make in our crucial conversations is we believe that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. Uh, our understanding is either that we 
have probably had some crucial conversations poorly in the past and it led to losing friends. And so we thought, okay, we made the connection. Apparently crucial conversations make us lose friends. And so we shy away from them. And why is it that so many of us are scared to share our faith? I think often it's because we're scared of scrutiny. We're scared to make people feel uncomfortable. We're scared to make uh, or lose friends. But really, should we, we be scared of maybe some discomfort in a relationship more than eternity, than heaven and hell, than life or death conversations? Because remember, Christians, the news that we have to share, the truth that we have is good news. Jesus called it the gospel. Gospel means good news. If, if, if the news we're sharing is not good news for the people we're sharing it with, then we are not sharing the gospel. If, for, if somehow we've twisted the gospel to mean something different than it, than it actually does, and somehow it is bad news for the world, then we are sharing the wrong news. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be able to quote a bunch of scripture. You don't have to, you don't have to know everything you need to say. You just have to be willing to be used by God to share his good news. How do we do that? We do that by giving grace and speaking truth. But balancing these two things together in life is very hard. I mean, think about the situation with Philip and Acts. Philip is talking to a Jew who is reading the prophet Isaiah. He's probably read this passage many times throughout his life. And Philip has to go to this Jew and gracefully reveal to him, you're going to hell. Like the current path you're on right now is the wrong path and it's leading you straight to hell. But here's the good news. You can go to heaven. The good news is that there is truth that is better than the truth that you think that you know. And if you will cling to it, it will lead you to eternal life. We all know that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace hospitality, love, generosity, and truth. So let's start talking about these two things. Let's start by talking about grace. A primary theme of the Crucial Conversations book is how our emotions have a tendency to control our conversations, right? We get carried away. We get upset. Think about the most recent argument you've had with your spouse, and your emotions determined where the conversation went. It's the difference between sharing Jesus with your grandkids. You're doing it because you love them, because you want them to have eternal life, because you want them to know truth. So that's a gracious way of sharing truth. And it's the difference between that and this. I grew up just down the street from Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas when I was younger. And I look at some of these street preachers, and I think, what are you so mad about? What, what, what has got you so upset? What has convinced you that the news that you need to share with the world is bad news? It is not bad news. Jesus said it is good, good news. It is God's gift to the world. It's, and God's gift is grace. And when we focus 
on the sins of people that annoys, uh, annoy us. And well, he's tempted to do that and I'm not. So he's worse apparently. And, and she sins in that way. So, and I don't sin in that way. So apparently she's worse than I am. We start to do this comparison thing. We destroy relationships. We separate ourselves from people. We become angry and our world runs from Christ because we're supposed to represent him, but we represent the exact opposite. We are not called to separate ourselves from sinners. We are not called to shout at sinners. Look at the life of Christ. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus found sinners in in places that were not places that religious people would go. We We got an issue on the screen. Jesus would go to their sinful places. And he would befriend prostitutes and tax collectors, people who were nothing like him. Now, don't get me wrong. I hate sin. Sin is terrible. All of the pain in the world is caused by sin. It was first caused by Adam and Eve's sin. They entered, they introduced pain into the world when they sinned. And then other people sin and their sin causes us pain. And then we sin and our sin causes us pain. And sin just keeps making things worse and worse and worse. So I hate sin, but you don't get people to stop sinning by screaming at them. You show people a better way. Jesus had dinner with them. He shared a meal with them. He was gracious with them. Joseph Grinney says, I have become more aware of, number one, how true emotions can feel during crucial moments, and number two, how false they really are. Our emotions lie to us. Our emotions convince us that my truth is the truth. My truth is not the truth. My truth are my feelings, my opinions, my thoughts. How many experts during the COVID-19 stuff were absolutely positive that they had the solution and if you would just fall in line and do what I'm telling you to do, then everything will be okay. Their truth. Now we look back on it and you think, well, we had some learning to do. Maybe we should have had some grace. Maybe we should have had some understanding and not assume that we have all the answers. Because in reality, when we get upset in conversations, it's not so much my idea is different than your idea. It's more why you have your idea or who you are or what you've done with that idea. It's not so much their sin that annoys us, it's the sinner. It's their twist on it. It's those Steeler fans. It's like, it's, why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you act the way you act? I just, we're just different. We begin to separate ourselves. I think to hit closer to home, for most of it's, it's those Democrats or those Republicans I don't understand you. I don't agree with you. And so I hate you. I divide from you. In reality, in our lives, it's more like this, I think. I've always loved this cartoon because it describes our country so well. But it's not just America, right? This is so much of our lives. This is the church. 
We don't have time to share our faith with, with people because we're too busy fighting over theology. We don't have time to love people. We're too busy fighting amongst ourselves because our opinions are slightly different. At some point, we have to just say, okay, I get it. We disagree. You think we should baptize babies. I think it's a bad idea. That's okay. Let's move on. I think God's going to have some grace if one of us are wrong and one of us are. Because the truth is not the same thing as my truth. In fact, there is no such thing as my truth. So when I say that we should speak truth, I'm not talking about sharing your opinion. I'm not trying to, I'm not talking about trying to get everybody to fall in line with you. I think they call that spitting truth. Maybe, no, try to get hip. I'm talking about speaking God's truth and speaking his truth in love and grace and humility. This, this requires a lot of humility to admit the fact that we don't know everything. I mean, I'm, I can Google a lot and I can get a lot of information. The problem is information can become a drug that makes me think I know more than I do. And so then I get really prideful. I know a lot of stuff. And if you would all just listen to me, then I could fix everything for you. This just requires a tremendous amount of humility. Say, listen, I don't have all the answers. And even if I did, I'm not going to tell you that I do. There are three things that I think are really hard for leaders to say. The first one, I don't know. Second one, I was wrong. And third, we're just... Worcestershire? Worcestershire? Shire? Anybody know? It's an impossible word. Can't say it. It's really hard. Naturally, in our lives, and especially in our culture, we want to always be right, to always have all the answers. I can never admit that I was wrong because then I would be admitting I don't have all the answers. But if we are going to lead like Christ, then we have to pick our battles. We have to decide that I'm not always going to fight to be right. I'm not going to believe that everything is worth me fighting for. We don't fight over the secondary stuff. We keep the gospel, the good news, front and center. We keep it the main thing all the time. So that when it's necessary, we've built a relationship with people. We have, we have caught their attention. We have their ears so that when we can, we speak truth in love. For years, people smoked. Many people thought it was good for them. There's just a way of life. Then one day, somebody discovers, actually, it's not good for you. For years, we handled asbestos. We used it in all kinds of products. Then one day, somebody discovered the good news that asbestos will kill you. Now, it didn't seem like good news. It didn't feel like good news in the moment, right? Especially for those people who made money off asbestos. That sounds like terrible news. 
But if this news will then extend your life, if this news will then tell you how to live longer, then it is good news. And I speak it to you not because I'm angry that you're using asbestos in the things that you're making. I speak it to you because I want you to live longer. I want your life to be better. I want to have grace for you because I love you. Good news. It's going to kill you. If we truly love people, we will speak truth even when they don't want to hear it. Because the truth leads to life. There's an example that I talk about and think about a lot. Last year, we surveyed Gillette. And we asked people about their emotional health, their mental health. And it was unbelievable to me how undeniable it is that people who go to church on a regular basis live much healthier lives in terms of emotions, in, in mental health, much better. Like, you, not even comparable. You're six times less likely to feel regularly anxious if you go to church on a regular basis. And I read this and I recognize the value of church and not just listening to me preach, but the community that happens and the fellowship and the growth and God working in our lives and all the things that come as a result of that. And I say, this is good news. And so often I look at the low priority that people put on church. And I'm just thinking, you're missing out. I care for you too much to let you keep missing out. Your life could be better. This is good news. Remember Pentecost? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The gift of the Holy Spirit and what came with that gift? They were given the ability to share the good news, the gospel, with people who were not like them. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The ability to share the good news with people who are not like you, even people who don't even speak your language. Christians, is the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. Then why aren't we using his gifts? Why aren't we stepping into our calling, stretching ourselves enough to allow him to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves? So, so often we shy away from crucial conversations because we feel like we don't have the words. The Holy Spirit in us will give us the words. He will speak through us. He will do what we cannot if we will trust him. This is what faith does. Remember, Moses said this. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I stutter, he's saying. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Yet Moses becomes arguably the greatest leader other than Christ in all of Scripture. He's a stutterer. So how? Because the Holy Spirit was with Moses and the Holy Spirit spoke through Moses and as a result, he altered the course of history. The world was changed forever because he spoke truth in love. That same Holy Spirit is in you. So use his gifts. Speak in tongues. Share the gospel. Allow him to speak through you to people. Maybe you don't have the words. Maybe you don't have much in common with the people that you're talking to. Allow him to give you the words. 
You need to have that conversation with your kids. You just don't know what to say. If you've been putting it off too long, maybe it's time to go to the Holy Spirit and allow him to give you the words. Maybe you need to have a conversation with your spouse and you've been shying away from it because you don't know what to say. Allow him to give you the words. Maybe you need to go to your boss and ask for a raise, but you're scared to do it because he's intimidating. I think that's the case for many of us. Side note. You know, inflation is causing wages to go down. Maybe numer- maybe they're staying the same amount. Inflation's going up. Some of us need to just go to the boss and say, hey, I need a raise. Or go play, apply for a similar job. Don't just keep doing the same thing, mundane routine. This is just what I've always done, so I'll keep doing it. Have a crucial conversation. And while you're doing it, how do we do it? We give grace and we speak truth. Have you ever been in one of those situations when you knew everybody else was wrong and you were right? Happens to me all the time. It's like, No, but that'll happen to you sometime in life. At some point, you'll make a discovery or you'll have an epiphany or you'll see some information that everybody else doesn't see. And at some point, you're going to have to figure out, how do I lead now? I've got to get this information to everybody. Well, what do you need? You need attentive listeners. You need people whose ears are open to you, who respect you enough to hear what you have to say. So how do we get attentive attentive listeners? Well, they're not going to listen to us until we listen to them, until they know that we love them, until they know that we care about them enough to hear them out. So maybe before we speak truth, we give grace. Maybe we need to listen curiously before we talk confidently. And both are important. We have to assume that everybody we talk to in life has something worth listening to, and they do. We, we judge people by their cover. We, we judge people and we determine ahead of time if they, they have anything worth us listening to. We have to assume that people have something worth saying. And if we will treat them with love in our listening, in our curiosity, then they will eventually get to the place where they believe we care about them and they'll start listening to us. If you've ever felt like people just don't listen to me, nobody cares what I have to say. Maybe it's because you've been talking too much and listening too little. Maybe it's because you've been too confident too often. Maybe it's time to listen curiously. Assume that others have something to tell you worth listening to. Because Christians, we've got a job to do. And there's one thing above everything else that we have to share And when it comes time to share that thing, we need them to hear us. We've got a culture to change, yet we can't do it until they know that we love them. And to change a culture, we have to give grace and speak truth. And to be honest with you, neither of these things come naturally to me. I was not born with either of these gifts. Now, the giving grace thing is a muscle that I've built over time. Throughout my life, early on, I recognized that I'm naturally a judgmental, angry person. And so I started exercising the grace muscles in my life. And over time, it's actually become a strength. It's actually become something that I'm good at naturally now. 
I've built that into my life. Now, the speaking truth thing, not quite so much. Because I'm a three Enneagram, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'd rather just make everybody think, everybody happy with me and impressed by me. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna make anybody feel uncomfortable because that may mess up our relationship. So naturally, I don't speak truth. And you may be thinking, Mike, every Sunday I come here and you're speaking truth. That's different. That, if you're sitting here in these chairs, at some point you said, okay, speak to me. I want to hear it. I'm talking about speaking to people who aren't asking for it. Like approaching somebody, maybe that it might make them uncomfortable. That terrifies me. And I'm growing. I'm trying. I need your help. I need some accountability in this area of my life to get better at it. But I'm growing. So someday I can be Lyle Austin. So someday I can get to the place where I'm not so concerned with myself and my own image that I'm willing to say something out of love because somebody needs to hear it. So from experience, I'd like to share with you three excuses that I think people, me, give for avoiding crucial conversations. The first one is, I'm afraid. We miss so many opportunities because we're scared to ask. We're scared to ask for the, for the raise. We're scared to ask for help. We think we can just do it all. I'll put it on my shoulders and I'll carry it. Because we're scared to ask. It's just easier to maintain the status quo. But if you want to become the person that God created you to be, you're going to have to listen curiously and talk confidently. Second excuse is, well, I'm an introvert. Did you know, statistically, the number of introverts in our world or the percentage of introverts in our world is skyrocketing? Like if I polled you today, a huge majority of, of us would call ourselves introverts. Well, if we're waiting for only extroverts to lead, we are going to have a huge shortage of leaders. People think all leaders are extroverts. So why is it when you ask somebody who's the greatest leader you've ever known, so many people list their moms or a teacher, or a coach, or somebody else that they knew personally in life. You don't have to be an extrovert to be a leader. I am definitely not an extrovert. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Did you hear about the introverted astronaut? Turns out he just needed a little space. The third excuse is, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. This one hits right home to me. That's why anytime I have to preach on giving up here, I get really uncomfortable. You're like, Mike, you're normally a good speaker, but today we were terrible. It's because I was terrified. I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. The problem is, if people feel uncomfortable, then comfortable, then good acting like Christ. He's making people feel uncomfortable all the time. Eat my body. Drink my blood. Pick up your cross and follow me like Jesus. Calm down a little bit. Let's just stick with the good, happy stuff. Have you read the Gospels? Jesus made people feel uncomfortable all the time, but it was in the best kind of the way. way. It was the most graceful, loving kind of way. He spoke truth in love. He gave grace and spoke truth. So for the rest of the time today, I'd like to illustrate this point one more time through a story. 
And it's a story many of you have heard, but it's kind of a a complex story. So I'm going to need some help telling it. I need five brave volunteers. I don't even know if we have five extroverts or not, but I need five volunteers to come up here on stage with me to, to help me with this story. Somebody be brave. Five people. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Yeah, thanks, Luke. You coming? Come on. One more. One more. Yeah, come on up. You guys can walk around if you need stairs, or you can go up that way. Either way. I was going to help you up. You're good. Okay, so these are the five characters of our story. You guys take center stage here. Thank you guys for helping. How many of you are in extroverts? Well, Luke's standing behind the TV. That's not going to be very helpful. All right, so these are our our five characters. Uh, This one right here in the middle is King Xerxes with a bedazzled crown. Uh, (laughs) Where's my other crown? Oh, there it is. This, This right here is Queen Vashti. Everybody say hi, Queen Vashti. This is Esther here in the middle. This is Esther. This is, I'm sorry, ladies, you're going to have to play men. You, you, get, you can get in the roll. Uh, this is Mordecai right here. There you go. And this is Haman over here. Oh, this, this jacket. Oh, this is going to be tight. <laughs> go for it. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a Chris Farley skit about this one. <laughs> yeah! Okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're all going to step back, and then when you hear your name, you're going to step forward and play your part. Okay? You're just acting it out. Yes, Luke? What was my name? You, you are Haman. Haman. You are King Xerxes. You are Esther. You are Mordecai. And you are Queen Vashti, okay? So when I get to yours, you just step forward and act it out. Okay, ready? All right. The story of Esther opens with the king of Persia, King Xerxes, throwing a big banquet. At the banquet, the king got totally drunk, stumbling all over everyone. And he said, hey, Queen Vashti, come show everyone how hot you are. But she said, not a chance. So he kicked her out of the castle and made her no longer the queen. You're already out of the story. Good work. A Jewish girl named Esther was found to be... Oh, sorry. So he kicked her out of the castle and held a nationwide beauty pageant to replace her. In that beauty pageant, a Jewish girl named Esther was found to be the hottest girl of them all. When she was picked, her cousin Mordecai said to her, Hey, Esther, don't tell the king you're Jewish. So she didn't. Then the king held another big banquet so that his new queen, Esther, could show off her beauty. One night, Mordecai was sitting by the gate to the place to the palace, and he overheard two guards conspiring to kill King Xerxes. So Mordecai said to Esther, Hey, Esther, Hey, Esther. Hey, Esther. 
Go tell the king they're trying to kill him. So she, so Esther told the king and the king killed the conspirators. <laughs> With his gun. It's modern times. Meanwhile, another character enters the story, Haman. And the king loved Haman. They were best buds. In fact, the king told, very nice. The king told everyone to bow to Haman when they saw him. But Mordecai, the crown doesn't fit his head. But Mordecai, a God-fearing Jew, refused to bow to Haman. That made Haman furious. So Haman went to King Xerxes and asked him to issue a decree that all the Jews would be killed. So the king marked a date on his calendar for all the Jews to be killed. But he didn't know that that meant his wife Esther would also be killed because she was a Jew and he didn't know it. So Mordecai ran to Esther and said, Esther, the king is planning to kill all the Jews. You have to do something. You were created for such a time as this. There you go. So Esther asked all the Jews to fast and pray for three days. Esther knew that approaching the king without being summoned was against the law and she could be killed for it. But Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. In her most Shakespearean voice. <laughs> After the fasting was done, Esther invited the king and Haman to a banquet the next day. That night, Haman got drunk. Thank you, you got drunk, Haman. <laughs> And while he was staggering around, he saw Mordecai. Remembering that Mordecai refused to bow to him, Haman was overwhelmed with rage. And Haman said, hey, servants, make a big stake and put it in the ground. I'm going to impale Mordecai on that in the morning. <laughs> He's drunk, yeah. That same night, the king laid down to sleep. But he couldn't sleep, so he read part of the chronicles of his reign. And it just so happened that one of the stories that he read was the story of the time Mordecai saved the king's life. So in the morning, Mordecai or Haman enters to request Mordecai's execution. But before he can talk, the king tells him to parade Mordecai around the city on the royal horse so everyone could celebrate how great he was. So Haman had to parade Mordecai around the city, telling everyone how great he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then the time comes for Esther's banquet. And Esther boldly told the king that she was a Jew and Haman was planning to kill her and her people. I am a Jew. So the king, so the king got drunk. Staggering, staggering around, and the king made his servant impale Haman on the stake that he planned to kill Mordecai on. You did. Yeah, you're dead now. Then the king protected all the Jews. So the Jews cheered. And the king gave all of Haman's possessions to Esther and Mordecai. The end. Yeah, give him a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. You can put your uh, 
costumes over here. Good work. That was that was amazing acting, guys. You couldn't find anything better than you. No, well that yeah. That jacket fit our uh, practice, but that was Darcy wearing it, so I don't know. I think this story of Esther is fun, and uh, but if you look at it and you look at the situation and the circumstances in which it happened, it's quite crazy. Like one of those unbelievable bravery moments for Esther to do what she did, and as a result, her people were rescued. And one of the passages that when Mordecai is talking to Esther is a famous passage, he says, for if you remain silent at this time, talk about crucial conversations, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. I love this passage. What incredible faith that Mordecai has for God's sovereignty and his power. And this is not just true about Esther speaking up for the Jews. This is true about us. God is going to accomplish his mission. His plan is going to be accomplished whether we are a part of it or not. God will raise someone up. But then, do we really want to miss out on being a part of God's mission? of playing a role in this big story that God has been telling for all of history. So don't remain silent. Be a part. Step up. Be brave. Get out of your comfort zone. Speak truth and love. Then he says, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You were created on purpose for a purpose. So what is it? It's to play your part in God's mission. And your part is going to look different than my part. Some people are going to fund the mission. Some people are going to be speakers in the mission. Some people will care for other people in the mission. But we were all called to serve. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in the game and play your part. The church Need you. God's mission in the world needs you. It's his plan A and there is no plan B. So step up and get involved. God, I thank you for how you are doing what you set out to do with or without us. But I pray that you would give us the courage to step forward and become the people you created us to be. And if anybody is hearing this today and they're not quite sure who you are or what you may be doing and some of this sounds foreign, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do in them what I cannot. That your Holy Spirit will speak into their lives and speak truth to them when I cannot. And that you will draw people to yourself. That they will be given courage to come to you with all of their hearts to become the people that you created them to be. God, we love you and thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.